0: Welcome to Books, Stories, People, with me, Nancy Richards. New Contrast was one of South Africa's very first literary journals. It was devoted to publishing poetry, prose, art, reviews and interviews from both local and international authors, and recently it clocked up 60 years of publication. Well, it was founded simply as Contrast, and here, together with one of the early editors, Michael King, Business Administrator, Karina Sturek, and brand new editor, Miss Sandy Shanga. We take a look at its pioneering past, its poetic present, and its very vibrant future. First, though, I ask Michael to tell us about its early involvement.
1: Well, my first sort of association with new con- with, with contrast was when a poem of mine was published but during the mid-80s, in 86, I'd done an MA at UCT and i got to know Jeff Hairsnape, who at that time was editor. He asked me to guest edit an issue in 1986. And then I was his assistant editor for the rest of his time there. I have felt all along that one of the not a duty but certainly a responsibility of a writer is to try to ensure that everybody has an opportunity to have whatever it is they've written published so that other people can see it because when you write you're writing so that other people can read it and so it always seemed to me a good idea to be involved in the publication of material poetry stories for for the benefit of other people i had previous to this i had published a schools magazine i was a teacher at the time a school's magazine called English Alive. And I'd published, I'd been the editor of that for about eight or nine years. So I was already aware of, you know, the fullness of what editing can do and what pleasure it brings. So I was very happy to get involved in that. Jeff, as you know, decided to step down after 10 years in, that was in 1989. And there was a a sort of a transition at that point, which uh, I think was for the better. When Jeff decided to step down, Douglas Skinner had been the editor of a little magazine called Upstream, which Alan James had started, and Douglas approached the directors and talked about the amalgamation of both those magazines into what became New Contrast, and then a group of us formed a sort of an editorial association or an editorial collective with Doug as the editor, which lasted for two or three years before he too had to leave for England. And then there was a a, a troubled period for a while where a number of us got together, this time as a collective, led mostly by Mike Nickell and Jill Gallimore. And we put contrast back, new contrast back on a sort of fairly even keel. But it was still, the problem still remained. When you have a a collective of eight or nine people, there needs to be a central point, a, a person who controls and directs and engages with the energies of everyone. And I was asked to take on that role. So that's how I got involved as like full-on editor. And that was up to the period of about 2000, 2001, thereabouts, I think. And at that point, I'd been editor for about four or five years. And I just felt that that other people should have that chance of directing the, the progress of the magazine and so on. So I stepped aside from editing, although I continued in the production side And I do want to talk about that at some stage, the importance of, firstly, the legal background of the South African Literary Journal as a fully legally situated company, which provided the bedrock on which the magazines could be based. And I think that, you know, where you have a lot of small magazines, as they were in the 1960s and 70s and so on, a lot of them came to an end as soon as the driving force of the editor... Was dissipated. Uh, the magazine itself had to close down, which was unfortunate. But Contrast seems to have survived because there was that particular company structure in place and has been. So, although I stepped aside from editing as such, I was always involved in the sort of business manager, secretarial side of it, which was as mundane as putting envelopes, putting magazines in envelopes, and sending them off because we couldn't have a professional doing that. It was just way too expensive. Yep. and then um, things went along in in a very uncertain way because a lot of people that were approached to take on the role of editor wanted to be involved, but just found it was too difficult in terms of the time commitment involved and the energy and all that sort of thing. And it sort of wobbled through until we were able to appoint Hugh Hodge as the editor in, I think about 2007, and Hugh did a really good job for five years. And at that time, Stephen Watson, who has been one of the stalwarts of New Contrast you know, all the way through, he had been the major fundraiser. And, and how he managed it, I don't know, but he was certainly very effective in making sure that there was a flow of money coming in, which allowed us for the first time to provide some kind of remuneration for the editor and the business manager. But then Stephen died. Unfortunately and tragically, 2011, and the money just dried up. And within six months, we were not able to pay the editor. Hugh asked to step aside because he needed to have an income. And so I took it over again and ran it for another four or five years and then prepared other people to take it over. Mick van Omerwe took it over for a year. And then Michelle Beatty, who's done such a wonderful job, since then in creating the structures through her own efforts and through Diet Press and has been able to effectively pass on to Masande. well done, to run the magazine and hopefully develop another direction that contrast, New Contrast can, can take its way forward.
0: Goodness me, Michael, that is such a journey and a story and it seems to me that it's no small undertaking to be an editor and it's been something of a hot seat, although there have been periods where somebody's been an editor for a long time. There's been quite a lot of motion, And I think, as with any organisation, whoever the person is in charge sort of stamps their, their own feelings on it. And uh, Missandei, yes, I'm, sh- yes, I'm sure you're feeling quite apprehensive about the role that you've taken on just listening to what you've heard. But we're going to get to your feelings <laughs> in a minute.
1: Nancy, I can just, I just say this? Yes. Um, that although there might be a person in charge... That person always relies on a team of people who work in all sorts of different ways. The editorial team, the the business team, and I think that the current situation fully understands that. Masanda, your editorial group is great. I mean, it's a wonderful array of talents and so on. And that's great, and and Karina, what what you're doing as well. I mean, that that's what the magazine is going to be based on. Its yes. survival is going. Yeah. So it's
0: very much about a collective, which is absolutely amazing, but. I just want to go back to Jack Cope, who was the founding editor. He himself was a novelist and a poet. And he says a number of things which are quite interesting and quite reflective of what is going on here. He says, it may show some optimism or hardihood, if not a touch of impertinence, to start a new magazine in South Africa at this time, bearing in mind it was 1960. The answer, if there is any doubt, can only come from the pages contrast itself. To succeed, it must provide a flashpoint for the vital currents moving everywhere. What do we know about, Michael, what do you know about Jack Cope? And what was his, I'm sure there was more to what he had to say there. What was his thinking in creating contrast?
1: Well, the simplest answer is is that there was a group of people who felt that there was a need for a literary journal. There were a lot of people who were involved in literary publications in a number of different ways. And, And so the idea of having a regular Platform to have material published for people to read, certainly rang the bells for the, the people who set up Contrast. The editorial board, the, the first editorial board, included people such as Anthony Delius, Jack Cope, Jan Rabi, Philip Siegel, Nancy Baines, Anthony Clark, who was the, I think, the founder of Clark's Bookshop. You know, so it's people who are deeply involved in literature and the production of a literature that arose out of our South African circumstances at the time. If you look at the, the first 20 years, uh, the names that are, that crop up there are certainly the key names, both who were established at that time, like Anthony D. Elias and so on, but then also the rising people. Um, uh, and, and there are lots of names that, that um, sort of give a history of South African um, literature um and uh, and I think that's what Jack was looking for is that that there should be a vehicle uh, for these people to be able to express their their work, um, their ideas, and so on to to the the reading public.
0: You know, he also says it was a magazine with no policy. He says its aims may be difficult just because they are so simple to keep out of the rough and tumble of parties and groups and yet to cross all borders and to hold a balance even between conflicting opinions. All the names that you've mentioned are obviously very white, um, and one wonders to what extent there was, uh, you know, consideration of of embracing some sort of diversity back in those days. They were very turbulent times here in South Africa, and there certainly were many people writing.
1: Um, yeah, it was it was largely white. Um, there were, you know, that's obviously where the the bulk of the input came. I think what Jack meant, um, and I'm putting words in his mouth here, but, but relying on what I've read about him, is that. It's very easy to pick a side and then become a proselytizer for that particular side against whatever range of arguments and so on that exist. And, and he was saying he's not picking a side. He's simply going to take the, the, the material that comes in or that he asks for, uh, judge it on its merits and then publish accordingly. And I think he did that. I don't think that the only thing that he seems to have taken a a very strong stand on, and it comes through repeatedly in the notes that he wrote in each issue, um, was his opposition to censorship and his articulation of the arguments against censorship. Did he actively go out and get material from the black communities? No, he didn't. I don't think that that is reflected at all. Certainly, if you look at the list of names for, for the period up until new contrast started and then the period of name the names that came up after that a lot more names of black writers were coming through in that second period but that also just reflects the realities of of the country itself yeah. when when jeff was in charge he published a paper which was discussed at a seminar at UCT there was sort of an african studies seminar group um, and he called it um, new contrast or sorry contrast keeping out of the Lagers which is the same sort of thing as, you know, the, the the periods of crisis during the 1980s forced, as it were, people into sort of certain boxes. Jeff's idea all along was to keep out of the lagers, not to espouse one cause against another, um, but to, to receive material and to go through that. That was also my approach all the way through. I sometimes would ask people to submit material, uh, you know, sometimes... For example, I would feel that Chris Mann had not uh, been published for a while, and I just kept on thinking that he should be being published. So I'd approach him and say, Chris, you know, come on, let me have a couple of poems. But mostly it was what people sent in, which I then judged on the basis of, as I rather naively said, on the basis of what needed to be heard, what needed to be said. Now, it's obviously that's a value judgment on my part, But I figured I was entitled to make that value judgment being the editor or or listening to the advice of the associate editors who would send stuff through to me.
0: That's interesting. Um, Yes, no more than answers the question and and actually brings up many more questions. But let's just spend a moment with the material that comes in. I mean, I'm wondering to myself, of all the writing that goes on, poetry, prose, art uh, reviews, interviews, et cetera, that goes on in this country, how does one establish what is going to go in? Karina, let's just sort of jump to you because you are the business manager, but I think that you also wear, as Nassande says, in his editorial, many many hats. Tell me a little bit about the material that comes in. Are they is the material sort of commissioned, head headhunted? How does the material come in, and how does it get sifted? It's a a mixture
2: of all these elements and and I think this is a a side of the magazine now that Masanda is most involved in, Uh, but uh, we work with a platform, Submittable, um, an online platform where anybody can submit their work and then Masanda's editorial team sifts through it and and chooses um, uh, whatever they feel is fit for an issue. People occasionally write uh, to me as well to ask how to submit and what we are looking for, but, but it's mostly really the editor's job. My role is mainly to look after the really mo- mundane side of things. Uh, like Michael said, it is really the putting the magazines into envelopes. And, and making sure that, that I can post them um, in lockdown, that was a challenge. It continues to be a challenge because for example, we have subscribers from all over the world, including countries like Australia, where I haven't been able to post anything for the past year. Uh, and yet uh, people are extremely generous and supportive. And we continue with the eBooks, so the e-version of the magazine and are waiting for better times and it's it's quite astounding uh, how well known New Contrast is really all over the world. It it surprises me every time when people write from Pakistan or India or the UK, Canada, from wherever you think, and also uh, a lot of libraries from all over the world subscribe to New Contrast. Oh, so cool. it's it's really heartening to know that this is not just a small enterprise that is South African. It has become really an international journal with quite a reach and i know even from my own perspective when when i was still uh, studying and living in austria i knew about new contrast and it was it was a very prestigious um, magazine that we were aware of And then when I came to live in South Africa, I remember the day when one of my own poems was accepted for the first time. And and what a thrill it was because I really felt from the start that it was being part of literary history, uh, South African literary history. And then um, a few years ago, I was asked to join the board, which was also a huge honor. And then because of a set of very strange circumstances, uh, we really couldn't find anybody who could do this mundane side of the job. And so I volunteered simply because I have enough experience on other projects to be able to, to handle the very, very ordinary things like going to the post office, answering emails, making sure that everything is coordinated.
0: Well, you've answered many questions there because I was going to say how did you get involved and what, what did you know of it? But a couple of the things that you touched on there is the sheer volume of the volume or the or the sheer reach of the volume. And also the fact of you going to the post office sounds so blissfully old-fashioned in these 21st century days where everything is online. At what point did it go digital and how many physical copies are printed? What are we looking at in terms of the full reach, digital and print, And how many print copies are still printed? At the moment, we are printing per issue 250
2: copies. Uh, For the Jubilee issue last year, we printed 300. And most of them are distributed via subscriptions and uh, bookshops. And also now recently, it used to function for quite a while now, but recently we also redesigned and uh, revamped the website, which has also become like an online shop and it functions extremely well. And I am so heartened to see how many people just subscribe now to, to the newsletter and click on individual issues, order back copies and are not only in, interested in the latest. But really go and look for things. Uh, where, where sometimes I will get requests from um, magazines published two or three years ago, where somebody says, I'm looking specifically for this because I'm in the of some poet or artist and I would like to have a copy of this. And the, these orders come in basically daily, which is really heartening. And I think it will hopefully provide the sustainability platform also for the contrast, to, for new contrast to continue.
0: So amongst the many hats that Masande refers to that you wear is also archivists. So if people are looking for things Presumably, all the material has been archived and is online, which is extraordinary, considering that the material that comes in is both local and international. I mean, it's this is a world of literature. Just before we get to Masande, I'm dying to hear what his mission is for the or his vision is for the future. Talking of archives, Karina, on the 60th on your jubilee edition, which has got one, two, three, six different covers, has somebody still got all the original covers? since Michael
1: does. Are you the holder of the archive, Michael? I've got a a copy of every issue, but just the copy. The the actual material that was submitted and used in the editorial process has normally been sent up to Nelm from time to time. So I think Nelm, I think it might have a new name, but I know it is Nelm. In Grahamstown, the National English Literary Museum. But yeah, the original copies, I don't know what's happened to the actual artwork from that No.
0: Gosh, it's definitely museum museum worthy. The whole collection, Masande. I imagine that you were you must be quaking in your boots listening to the the history <laughs> of New Contrast and or the history of Contrast and New Contrast. Tell me what you felt when somebody rang you up and said, "Are you interested?" What what was your feeling? What did you know about New Contrast? <laughs>
3: Well, by the time that happened, um, I'd actually been the prose editor for about a year. So I had some idea in terms of how things uh, worked, you know, how it was organized. And Michelle, as well, was uh, pretty easy to work with. And she got me on board and taught me a lot about how the different systems work, including the submittable portal that we use for our contributors. But I mean, having said that, when I first heard about it, of course, you know, there was this idea that it's extremely daunting. There are so many different moving parts. And of course, it's like Michael was saying, part of, you know, working on a literary journal to some extent is something that is a labor of love and something that is in service to the community of writing. So it's something that requires a lot of time, but might not necessarily give back in compensation. And so there was also that to consider. But after a while, it just, it seemed like a fantastic opportunity. Because when I did come on, Michelle had these really well put together and streamlined systems, which I inherited for the most part. And like Karina mentioned too, that, you know, it was a journal that was well regarded internationally. You know, it's a world-class journal. But having said that, I also found that there's there's always been this conflict a little bit, you know, between its international presence and content versus its local uh, presence and content. While nude contrast never kind of did away with local content, I do feel that over the years its presence, you know, in the literary landscape kind of suffered a little bit. There were people who thought that it was perhaps a little inaccessible, It had this rich history, but as you know, in South Africa, history is always something that's contestable, you know, who is it rich for? And the journal hadn't kind of explicitly made that statement yet. But besides that, you know, it was well-functioning. It had great writers and um, there was an incredible amount of responsibility as well. And so once I got my head around all of that though, um, I was pretty excited to get started.
0: So there's a clue in what you said there that originated for a year, you'd been prose editor. So I think within the editorship, there are a number of different people handling different areas. Just, just explain to yes. us who your current team is.
3: Oh, okay. Well, it's from my understanding, it's been an unofficial system. Sometimes, you know, the editor would also be the poetry editor or the English poetry editor. But I kind of wanted to formalize it a little bit more for reasons that I'll get into. So one of the first things that I did when I took the role of editor was to decentralize it in a way, to take it and um, break it into an Afrikaans or Gabs poetry editor, an English poetry editor, a prose editor, an African languages or a poetry editor. And part of the reason I wanted to do this was because, um, you know, as an editor, there's always the question of, What principles are you using to gatekeep the content in the magazine? And even if your intentions are good, uh, for me, it's always good to question them. So if I prefer certain kind of literature and I'm favoring certain kinds of writers, who am I leaving out? So this was a way to try and mitigate that for me because I hired these editors uh, or appointed them, really, both for their personal and literary backgrounds because I wanted the journal to kind of be, yes, extremely focused on quality, but also reflective of different aspects of the South African literary landscape. I find that incredibly important um, because it's our literature, you know, and uh, part of the goal of the magazine is to develop that. So I appointed them and um, I work closely with them still, but largely I draw on their expertise as practitioners and as readers as well. And we're all united under the common goal of making this a platform that anyone from the different aspects of South African literature can use to showcase their work and also taking the work of other writers as well.
0: Just briefly, as we come to a close, I just want to talk of two things, art and poetry. Poetry, I believe that you have a competition as
3: well. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, we do have a National Poetry Prize. We published the winner and the runner-up, 2 run runner-ups, actually. And that was in our issue 193. But I wasn't really involved heavily uh, with the process of, of selection or judging. It was Karina who was more hands-on with that. It was just a little bit before my time as editor.
0: Then, Karina, let me just ask you a little bit about that, because, I mean, there's a poet in just about every living soul on this planet, and I imagine that you must get, must get flooded with submissions. Who has the job of reading and choosing the poetry? So so for the National Poetry Prize, it's only in its infancy. So,
2: so this was the first year, uh, but it was a project that came to us via uh, somebody who has been supporting New Contrast for a very, very long time and was thrilled as a, as an English literature student to be published at some stage in, in the uh, magazine. But it's actually a winemaker, uh, Bruce Jack, And he has always subscribed to New Contrast and is a great supporter, has always taken out ads in the the magazine and is always thrilled to read. He's actually a real reader. And he just wanted to do something for the uh, poetry scene in South Africa. So uh, he is the main sponsor of the prize with his wine money, (laughs) wine and literature going well together. And yeah, so, and we, in the first year, we got a little bit over 450 uh, submissions and uh, then they were judged blindly by a panel of four judges. So I, I just brought them all together into a document where all the where, the, where the entries were stripped of all the identifying features. So no names, no nothing. Uh, biographical notes and that was sent to the judges. And and they came up with a short list of 10 and then the winners were selected from that list. And they were published in New Contrast um, earlier this year. And they will also be published um, in the Jack Journal that Jack Bruce himself uh, runs, which is also a very creative, beautiful publication that comes out once a year.
0: Gosh, I suppose blind judging, As I suppose that's the way you would judge wine as well. So it's probably altogether appropriate. If anybody (laughs) would like to know more, Karina, I think that you're on the end of that. And and I think probably best for people to go to the website, which is newcontrast.net, newcontrast.net. And they'll get all the details as to how they can enter, how they can find out more archives, etc. So just in closing, Miss Sandy, um, with you, I just wanted to talk about art. You've got a wonderful image on the cover of, of 193. And I think on the cover of 194, which I don't have in my hands, it's an exquisite cover. How do you choose the art? And just quickly tell me about how art and literature combine in your
3: vision. So we have a really incredible art editor, David, who is in very close communication with the visual artists that we select both for the cover as well as for our featured artists. Um, this particular artist, Paula Manelli, is brilliant. He's from Cadeja and he's young. And usually what we look for are people um, whose artwork is kind of engaging, you know, with the same kind of themes or even conflicts that are reflected in our writing as well. So we'd like to have a continuous conversation between the literature and the art. And it's also just a great way of announcing the journal, you know, of um, kind of signaling what our preoccupations are and what we're trying to do with it, which is also something that now we've extended into how we design the magazine by recently recruiting um, a new production designer, Megan Ross, who in spirit actually almost works as part of the editorial team. You know, she's a poet herself, but um, she's she's brilliant at designing. And so art is definitely something that is as important to us as the other work in the journal.
0: My goodness me it just shows how the whole publication epitomizes how the lines are blurred between all the various different art forms it's been absolutely fascinating there's so much more to say but the, more importantly there's so much more to read so <laughs> michael king as one of the silverbacks of the whole business thank you very much for joining us thank you karina Sturik, who wears many many hats but as business administrator thank you very much and Ms. Sande, what can i say Ms. Sande and shanga Bon chance for the future. You've got uh, you've got big shoes, which sounds like you're filling them more than adequately. So thank you very thank much. You. New Contrast, it's available if you want to find out a little bit more about the background. Once again, the website is newcontrast.net, and I wish you all the very very best of luck for all the forthcoming editions. Thank you very much.
3: Thank, thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you.